I'm Dan Hadaway, and this is Cyberviews. Today's podcast is actually part one of two. This morning, we're going to be interviewing a gentleman named William Summers. I, I will say that, you know, William is, a, is an AI enthusiast who is also a cybersecurity professional. Uh, we want to make sure you know that the, the results of this interview is just really to help our clients understand what they should know about cyber risk as it relates to artificial intelligence, as it relates to what's happening right now. And so, William, uh, welcome to our podcast. I think it's kind of interesting that really your your inaugural content in our inaugural podcast. So tell me about yourself. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, I want to say I'm super excited to actually be on the podcast. Um, I've always wanted to be on a podcast, so it's quite exciting for me. I am a cybersecurity professional, uh, as Dan said. I'm pretty enthusiastic about AI. I also happen just to be a very passionate and, and, and enthusiastic uh, cybersecurity person, InfoSec person. I love kind of just following InfoSec as it goes along. You know, um, uh, what I have to you know make sure the audience realizes is that what inspired me to switch the order of our podcast to put you first is a GPT has just released, uh, you know, an upgrade. But then also, B, I saw your article online, and what the audience should know is that, you know, when we hire new people, and and we hired William very recently here, we make sure they realize that there's two expectations that are kind of a little bit outside the box for cyber, um, and that is we want you to be able to write, and we want you to at least try being, you know, a speaker and and so I really appreciate you being here, William. I mean, I know you have experience teaching, you know, at the uh, college and everything there, but I, I am looking forward to seeing how well you do in this interview. I'd also like to, to ask and, and really help establish for our audience, what do you do for Infotex in your capacity here as a cybersecurity professional? Yeah, so I, my official title is Data Security Analyst. So my, my essential duties would be watching the SOC, uh, generating and, and helping with um, daily reports to our clients, making sure everything is running smoothly, particularly uh, I'm on grave shifts, so overnight, which is something I personally enjoy to do. I like staying up on the night owl, so uh, it all works well with me personally. I've luckily uh, been taking on some more hats as of recent, uh, doing some more internal projects. I'm not sure if I can share exactly what those are yet, but they're super exciting, especially for me, um, as very luckily they align with what I want to do and uh, things that I'm interested in. So as I'm taking on more and more duties, um, it's been fortunate that it's, it's something that I'm enjoying and uh, I feel lucky to, to be able to do it and be here. We're really excited about William. He's an AI enthusiast who's also a cybersecurity professional, which, by the way, I should start off by saying is that this podcast here specifically today is about, you know, artificial intelligence and uh, natural language processing and really the cyber risk related to it. We are not AI experts. Uh, we are definitely cybersecurity experts. And, and, um, and so we're really kind of giving a take this new technology and what kind of risks we think uh, it exposes us to. But 
This is also uh, Williams' inaugural four-dimensional content is is what I call it, the, the content that takes time, right? Your article is about chat GPT specifically, but for those of us who are new at this, I mean, what are we really referring to here? You know, I, you know, for 23 years now, I've been watching buzzwords evolve at banks for various technologies and controls and such. And, and what I've kind of noticed is that first there's several different buzzwords for what ends up becoming the same thing. And then one of the buzzwords rises as the, the term we end up settling on. So are we talking about chat box? Are we talking about voice recognition? No, what's the generic term? Is it language processing? What's the generic term for GPT 4.0? Sure. Um, well, first of all, I, I think we should go into what, what it's not, um, specifically not for language processing or, you know, no voice recognition there. What it is, is it is a chatbot. Um, that, that's one of the buzzwords you can totally call it. Uh, I would certainly say that chatbot uh, kind of alludes to a more dumb kind of system. Is uh, it, it's intelligent in the way that it can predict what would come after that kind of question. So after being trained on the internet, uh, the entire internet, up to a certain point, uh, it, it kind of knows how uh, things are responded to, uh, and it knows how to generate text in response to prompts. And and so that's mainly what I would I would classify it as. I feel like sometimes it's also helpful to uh, to kind of to, to discriminate between it and other technologies that are like it. So so what's the difference between GPT 4.0 and Bing, new version of Bing, you know, uh, Chad GPT and and Google's current state? What Where's the right of those? Well, um, Google doesn't currently, uh, as far as I'm aware, use too much uh, AI or have the big kind of public open AI-like uh, models. Um, and actually being used, um, I believe they used a form of GPT-4 or 3.5 um, that was either fine-tuned for them, something like that. Um, as um, if I recall correctly, uh, Microsoft, aka who would own Bing, um, I believe uh, invested in OpenAI. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it makes sense if, if they used their uh, you know, money uh, um, and grabbed some of GPT, uh, GPT with it. And so Bing's AI, I believe, is currently closed down due to some issues it was having. Um, it might have been reopened. Um, I haven't caught up on that particularly. But with with they're all the same idea, and they're they're all GPT models. They're all language models that that use predictive weight biases, et cetera, um, parameters uh, to be able to to generate that output for you based on your prompt. Well, and I think what the whole world right now is experiencing is one of the risks that, you know, no one ever talks about related to AI, which is availability. I mean, it's a risk with all technologies, right? And and it's not available because of all the resources, which we'll be getting to a little bit later. But, right, you know, I, I really feel like I ought to just kind of, you know, finish this description of what, you know, we're talking about here by where three cool things you can do with uh, GPT. You have the availability. Yes. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention about GPT-4 is it's multimodal. Um, so what that means is chat uh, GPT or 3.5 uh, was uh, single modal, uh, aka you could put text in and get text out. Uh, GPT-4, you have a few more options. 
You can actually put images in and receive images. I forgot if you can receive images or not, but I know you can put images in uh, and receive output based on that. Uh, one of the really cool examples that I thought was personally neat, uh, someone had drawn and like paint. They drew uh, a website layout very crudely, may, may I add, like you know, like a 10-year-old's drawing, right? Uh, just kind of putting boxes of what, uh, and then some labels of what those boxes were. Uh, they threw it in GPT-4, told uh, GPT-4 to write the, the CSS, JS, and, and HTML for it, uh, and it spit out a reasonable website, something that you could uh, kind of launch off the ground with uh, um, to, to get a website going. Another use case um, and cool thing that I think is, it's not one particular example, it's kind of the idea of language models uh, as a whole. Uh, is the fact that you can have conversations with them. Uh, I'm not talking about as in like philosophical conversations about what they think. I mean, as in like it's uh, a coworker uh, that you're trying to collaborate on with a project to get something done, specifically uh, with coding. It's not a master class uh, programmer, um, and it probably won't be for a while. It makes a lot of mistakes, but it's somewhere to jump off from. And especially for smaller, more contained ideas, it can 100% give some some accurate uh, and, and good scripts, um, or at the very least help you diagnose vulnerabilities, um, um, readability in code. It can add comments to code for you. Um, in fact, this is um, if you're interested in, in particularly like AI and and uh, programming, GitHub Copilot is another really good thing to to search for. GitHub Copilot. Yeah, GitHub, GitHub Copilot. Yep. You know, I talk to a lot of smart people. I mean, even a programmer who, you know, I brought up AI risk. And, you know, this was last Christmas time. And 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 he thought I was talking about robots taking over the world. And he's like, that's just never going to happen. I'm like, I'm not talking about Terminator, you know. Um, you know, and then we talk about the different kinds of risks. So at a very high level, I mean, talk to me about the risk that we see not with ai down the road i'm talking about right now what risks are we exposed to at our community in general not just the banking community but the overall community and you know, what kind of risks are we exposed to because applications like gpt are currently available i i think um one of the best ways to to classify the the current risk uh is like talking about the 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 coming renaissance of phishing and um, scams and spam. AI is going to make it a lot easier, uh, especially for foreign scammers and, and, and fishers uh, to produce very lifelike emails. Because a lot of the times uh, you detect a phishing email with some of the grammatical errors, with some of the formatting errors. Uh, the thing is that that's not going to happen um, when you're using an AI, really, uh, especially something like ChatGPT. Uh, it's typically always, uh, from what I found, grammatically correct at the very least. Um, and so it's going to be able to fool a lot more users if they're not as careful. Because sometimes there's not a, just don't have that innate um, feeling that something's wrong because it looks correct. Of course, you always have like where it's coming from and if there's a fishy link. But it's not always how, especially non-technical people, detect those type of, type of things. Um, usually based on, on wisdom uh, and, and the experience that, they, that they've had. So I think, I think the main risk here um, that some people should should genuinely consider and, and, and take into account would just be the, the increased uh, availability 
uh, to threat actors to be able to fish their business, to be able to send out mass email campaigns with ease, especially that are customized as well. And, you know, so spear phishing could also become a lot easier. There are some other risks regarding, um, like, malicious code being generated, but th there's already, you know, programmers that are, are writing very malicious scripts, way better than AI um, ever could, uh, even when in the future, I, I, I would bet. And so I think the, the main risk, really, is, is just going to be that, that renaissance and in, in phishing uh, that it's going to provide. Well, and, and I mean, even, you know, you got a hacker who, I mean, it's just going to make it easier for hackers. And, and, you know, whenever I talk about risk, especially with new technologies, I like to kind of separate them and kind of uh, divide them into three very broad categories. And the first category that you've already discussed is what I would call the malicious risk, you know, people using the technology for malicious reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but the second category then would be unintended consequences. And, and then the third category would be really the, all the risks associated with availability. Uh, you know, I mean, the environmental risk, the disaster recovery risk, you know, that sort of thing. And so I, I, I've heard a lot of these malicious risks, but talk to me about the unintended consequences, because to me, that is as, 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 uh, scary because there's maybe if there's 300 million people in America, maybe a half a million of them are bad actors, right? But there's 300 million people using the technology where unintended consequences could arise. And so to me, the likelihood is much higher in that category of risk. What do you know about that? What kind of unintended consequences are we already bumping into? The first one would be gray areas and morality regarding copyright it's inherent that something that copy that copies but learns off the internet is going to use copyrighted sources uh in its training data and there's a lot of people who don't feel comfortable with that which is 100 percent understandable and uh, my daughter is an artist she actually mm -hmm. makes a living painting she's really worried about the copyright that that there's a machine out there that's taking her art and learning from it. And so I yeah, but know the ten of unintended consequences, though. Oh, that's a difficult one to answer. The main one that I've always ever talked about was the law and copyright, because um, that's the, the that's the most prevalent uh, unintended consequence. Another one would probably be like cheating in school and college. I mean, it makes it a lot easier to, to kind of be able to fake that. Oh, and, you know, as well, getting jobs, uh, this is kind of a weird one, but, um, I feel like, you know, like, let's say you're in an interview and it's like a virtual, right? You could probably sneak in some of the questions they ask you like into an AI and, and get off some pretty formal answers. Um, so if you're trying to like fake a job, uh, you know, that you aren't qualified for, uh, just to get that salary, you could probably manage that somehow. Um, just potential for misuse uh, and lying and, and, and faking your way. Uh, as, I mean, because like, it has a copyright as well, faking your way from the school, the, the job interview, etc. Um, and, and the other potentials for misuse, it just all falls into the, the gray, moral-ish, uh, you know, unethical zone. Uh, that's really up to interpretation. Well, and, and I, I really, you know, feel like that kind of arises with almost every technology 
uh, where we're kind of in a in a little bit more of a dangerous mode here is that unlike most technologies, if there's 300 million people in America, there's 299 million people in America that are interested in, you know, uh, chat GPT or, mm-hmm. or Bing or whatever. And, and really that re- brings me to my, you know, final category of risk, which is the availability risk that always arises with technology. And, you know, I basically had asked William, hey, should we have one of your accounts uh, generate the questions for this interview? And and William had already run into that with the article, you know, that he wrote, because he was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if I could have, Jet, you know, chat GPT write this article? So tell me about that, William. What kind of availability risks are we running into? Sure, sure. Uh, real quickly, uh, if we could run back just to the other question real quick. Uh, sure. I thought of another potential misuse. Um, I found uh, or thought of another potential for misuse, uh, and that would be misinformation. So one of the biggest problems currently facing ChatGPT and GPT-4 and really any AI, AI language model would be misinformation. Just like Wikipedia, anyone can edit it, right? Anyone can edit the internet. The thing is the models are trained on the internet. There's going to be inherent bias towards it. Uh, there's going to be inherent misinformation. Uh, as a really fascinating phenom- a phenomenon happens when the GPT family of models run into uh, problems they don't know the answer to, uh, they make up the answer. They hallucinate the answer as if it was real. Um, and they won't tell you that they don't know the answer to your question. Uh, they will make it up fully, just 100% like it is true fact. Um, and so not only is that a risk, because if you ask your question, you start passing it off as fact, uh, that's unintended misinformation. Uh, but then you got to think about intended misinformation as we're in an in information age where uh, information is extremely powerful, right? Uh, and so if someone wanted to make a big model, uh, AI model, uh, and put their own biases in it uh, to spread misinformation and then say put it into Bing or some major platform, it would be really easy to cause misinformation there. So that's another unintended consequence of, is by giving the information age more ways to uh, misinform you. Um, and, and both accidentally and maliciously. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and speaking of malicious, you know, we, we talked about the availability threat when we talked about the articles and stuff. But I'd, I'd like to go back to the malicious threat because there's something I've been worried about for, you know, Gosh, it's been five, six years now. Um, I I gave an article, or I gave a talk about the insider threat, and I was surprised to, you know, see that that you know most of the people that that engage with me in my talks, uh, you know, kind of disagreed with the likelihood because they work in banks and banks have really good you know hiring practices and that sort of thing. Uh, and that was like I said four or five years ago. Do you do you see? You know, the availability of these tools increasing the likelihood of an insider threat. I don't see necessarily the availability of these tools increasing the likelihood of an of an insider threat. It could certainly maybe make the situation somewhat worse in terms of it might be easier for foreign threat actors to uh, send messages to people in dire need that work at banks. Um because, you know, insider threat, whether unintended, because everyone that works at a company is an, is an insider threat. It's a risk, right? Uh, whether intended or unintended, because someone clicking on a phishing link is technically a threat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and so, of course, these tools do increase that kind of insider risk. Uh, but the other kind of insider risk is purposeful, more malicious uh, insider risk. Uh, and, and, and while these tools don't make it easier for the people already inside the banks, because as you had mentioned, banks uh, have good hiring processes. But that also means that once someone is hired, they're trusted, right? They're trusted. They're given permissions. They're, 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 they're given um, keys to the kingdom, so to speak. Um, and therefore, if they don't need anything else to really exfiltrate that data and sell it to whomever wants it, right? And, and so the, the AI models don't make it easier for them to do that, but it, it's going to make it easier for the threat actors to craft messages that seem more convincing, possibly, uh, to send to people at banks that may be in financial uh, need, uh, you know, uh, that would be more willing to to give and you know a full hold onto a network or or leak confidential financial information of, of a bank or its users well that was our latest podcast episode i hope that you enjoyed it don't forget you can always get the deliverables at cyberviews.infotex.com 